0: This is Oklahoma football. Alright, we're back. It is Monday, November 23rd, and welcome to another Game Week episode of the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Burton, ready to recap a big weekend of college football and no matchup was bigger than the one we had right here in Norman, Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Sooners with a big-time dominant performance uh, in Bedlam and what ultimately ended up being a complete ass-kicking of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. we got a great show tonight, breaking down OU's win over Mike Gundy and the Cowboys. Uh, talk a little college football playoff. Now we've got the first set of rankings set to come out tomorrow night. Uh, And we're going to look ahead to another primetime matchup for OU this weekend, making the trip up to Morgantown to take on West Virginia. So unfortunately, we do not have Adam on the podcast tonight. The uh, undefeated streak for the Liberty Flames came to an end this past weekend. So Adam's in mourning right now, traveling up to uh, see his family for Thanksgiving break. But... Uh, we got an awesome guest tonight. Many of you, especially in the Norman, Oklahoma City area, probably listen to this guy on the radio in the afternoons. If you don't already, you should. He's the host of The Rush on Sports Talk 1400 AM uh, from two to, six, 2 to 6 in the afternoon. Let's welcome in Tyler McComas. Tyler, what's up, buddy? How are you? Two Tylers, one podcast. What could go wrong, right? Nothing whatsoever. So but well, before we dive into bedlam, I want to ask you about the show that you do in the afternoons because... For my job, kind of as an outside sales guy, I spend most of my time in the afternoons in the truck. Um, So it gives me a really good chance to listen to a lot of different shows, hear people's takes when it comes to uh, OU football. And I don't think I'm alone when I say this, but you and Teddy uh, are pretty much at the top of the list when it comes to talking OU football, college football. Uh, But one of the best parts of the show to me is the constant banner back and forth between you, (laughs) Toby, T. Rowe occasionally when he joins. So talk a little bit about the show and why it's got to be pretty dang cool to, to clock into work each day. Yeah. I mean, I I
1: think our philosophy is this, I mean, we don't ignore that the Oklahoma city thunder or up the street or anything else, but we want to be the authority when it comes to not only OU football, but I think college football in general, because the NBA is important in the state, but at the end of the day, this state is driven by college football, man. Um, The passion that there is with the two in-state schools is unmatched in, in Oklahoma. It is so, that's what we care about the most. That's what we're good at. We could talk about NBA all the time, but I don't think our show is be as good. So we just try to hit football as much as possible, make fun of each other as much as possible, and have fun with it that, day, that way and – you know what? We'll take our chances if we can. If we can be entertaining and talk about college football, I think that you might be okay in the state and have a decent show. So yeah, that's absolutely. How- the,
0: the The passion amongst the fan base is unmatched. Like I said, the banter back and forth. It's it seems like there's never a dull moment uh, on the show for you guys. So, well, I, I know your for time. Let's kind of just dive into it real quick. Bedlam happening this past Saturday night. OU wins forty one thirteen over Oklahoma State in a a game that honestly, from from the get go, I, I was surprised going into it. I thought that it was going to be a close, competitive football game. I thought that OSU was going to be able to do some things that would give OU fits on both sides of the football, but, you know, after kickoff and look up, you know, six, seven minutes later, OU's up 21-0, and and honestly, I wish you just kind of got smacked in the mouth right off the bat. Yeah, it's – I think that there is still a talent gap, not a huge talent gap, but there's
1: still a talent gap between OU and Oklahoma State. Some people would disagree with that, but I, I tend to think that OU still had the more talent coming into this game. What's not close, though, where there is a massive gap is on the two sidelines, man. I mean, you talk about the difference between Lincoln Riley and Mike Lincoln Riley is a guy that's still highly mo- motivated. He's an offensive mastermind, and I think he showed that on Saturday. On Oklahoma State's sideline, you have a guy that's, you know, I think he's satisfied. He's not into it as much as he was in the past. Mike Gundy, I think, was a hell of a good coach eight, nine years ago. He's not the same guy now as he was back then. So, did the more talented team win on Saturday? Yes. But the bigger story to me was just the coaching mismatch that took place. You come into this game, just go, anybody can go rewatch the game and say, oh, cool. Lincoln had two weeks off and he came up with some creative ways to get Mikey Henderson the ball, which all OU fans love. Oh, cool. He came up with a creative trick play. Like he just, he did some things to exploit OSU's defense. We're 48 hours. You know, since that game started, I don't know what OSU was trying to do. What, 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 was, what was their game plan? What, what, were they, what were they trying to do? Like, why didn't they do a better job of getting their playmakers to the football? So it's just – it's baffling how bad Mike Gundy was in this game. And if you're an OU fan, you got to sit back and say, you know what, Lincoln Riley might do some stuff occasionally that drives you crazy the fourth quarter in the Texas game. But, man, he was good on Saturday night. And that coaching mismatch was unbelievable, dude.
0: Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Like you said, you give Lincoln Riley two weeks to prepare, give him two weeks to study the game tape, put a put a plan together, be able to really point out and see what your weaknesses are. Like you said, ou has got the got the talent advantage on both sides of the football and allowing him to be able to put a game plan together and be able to exploit that. Um, you, you know, like you said, 21 nothing right off the bat. The quarterback rollout's getting Ramondre the ball. Second play of the game, that 45-yarder that, you know, really got OU rolling offensively. And like you said, the things, the creative things that he, he's able to do with the H-back position, you know, coming into the game, not having Austin Stogner, a lot of OU fans were kind of worried, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to find any room, you know, not, not just with OU, but maybe in the country that's got more talent in that room than OU's H-back position. And like you said, what Lincoln was able to do, with jeremiah hall mikey henderson getting both of those guys involved you know not just the handoffs but also in the passing game as well uh I, I thought that that was a a big thing a big advantage that lincoln was able to you know kind of take a look see what oklahoma state was doing obviously they've got a tremendous front seven their two safeties are, are you know highly thought of uh or both are going to be nfo guys one day but again give lincoln two weeks of, of time to prepare i thought he put a great game plan together and You know, just just looking at OU offense. I I thought that Spencer Rattler, you know, he's made progressions the last three or four weeks. And we were all just kind of, you know, thinking, okay, it's Texas Tech, it's TCU, it's Kansas. It was finally starting to build to where this bedlam matchup where you were finally going to see has Spencer Rattler turn the corner. And I thought he played outstanding. No, I, I think he did too. And he had you know one ball. I think it
1: was in the third or fourth quarter that he kind of forced into double coverage on a long third down but outside of that, he managed the game great. He didn't take too many chances, and he let his playmakers go make plays. I mean, that Marvin Mims catch was unbelievable, but give credit to Spencer Rattler for putting it in a spot where it's OU's ball or it's nobody's ball right there. He, he trusted his playmakers and allowed them to get in, in space and make plays. It, Spencer Rattler in a game like that, because I thought going into the game, I thought, look, there's all these keys to the game. To me, it's which quarterback plays better? I think Spencer Sanders might have to outplay Spencer Rattler. Let's see a Spencer Rattler's game. And in terms of just how he managed that situation and managed that game, he didn't look like a first-year starter red redshirt freshman. And, oh, by the way, we've seen him in the run game a little bit. It's not to the level of Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts, but the juke that he put on OSU safety on that first drive of the game to score a touchdown, oh, my God. I mean, he, he was – he just looked like a dude that was in firm control of that football game. And he, and he looked like a kid that was a three or four year starter. And I just don't remember we've had good quarterbacks in Norman before. Sure. But a quarterback that's made this much growth in the span of a month, it's nuts, man. And like, I'm not going to limit it to OU. Like, let's talk about the big 12. Like what quarterback have we seen grow this much in a span of five weeks to where, fans were questioning if he's going to be the quarterback in 2021 to now. I don't know if he's a top three quarterback in college football, but you can make one hell of an argument that he is right now. You can make one hell of an argument that outside Trevor Lawrence, outside Matt Jones and and Justin Fields, like Spencer Rattler is is in that group because that's how well that he's, he's playing right now. And again, you mentioned the absence of Austin Stogner. I thought that was going to be a big deal before the game. You take arguably the best receiver off any team going into a game like this, that's a big deal. But he faced the best defense that he's faced all year long and they still put up 41 points. Should have been 44 if they make a field goal. That's excellent. That that kid was missing his security blanket and they still they still were 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 great and really unstoppable that first half.
0: Yeah, I mean putting 41 points up on an Oklahoma State defense who many people thought was, you know, not only the best in the Big 12 but they had, you know, kind of risen to that elite status nationally. Uh, I thought Spencer, he was calm, cool, collected, and, mo- you know, bigger than anything, he was confident in everything that he was yeah. doing, and it makes it a lot easier when you've got the playmakers around him, you know, a- outside throwing g- throwing the ball to guys like Marvin Mims, who, you know, that, that play's been running all over Center for the last 48 hours, it seems like, and uh, Ramondre Stevenson, man, having that guy back, just what he's been able to do for that running game, elevating that to, a you know, a whole nother level. You know, we've seen a lot of good things from T.J. Pledger, Seth McGowan, a young guy, but Ramondre Stevenson, he's a, he's a totally different animal. And like you said, allowing him to be able to be as a, a quality complement to what Spencer's able to do in the passing game. I mean, it, it just takes that OU offense to a whole other level. And um, like you said, going into the game, I knew that there were going to be two or three keys, two or three things that I was going to be looking for that ultimately was going to, you know, decide the matchup. You talk about the, the battle between the two Spencers. There's no doubt which quarterback won that matchup. Uh, but also OU's front seven against that Oklahoma State offensive line was one that I thought that OU was going to be able to get pressure on him, but that those first three possessions of that first quarter, I mean, it, it looked like a, it looked like a varsity football team going up against the second stringers on, on JV, Ronnie Perkins, man, just a, I mean, just a I mean, essentially, I mean, that that's, that was a grown ass man, you know, playing on the field. So talk a little bit about the progress that Alex Grinch, you know, th- this being year two of Speed D, we all know 2018 OU was ranked 114th uh, in total defense. And now they obviously don't have this, the stats updated for this past weekend quite yet, but th- that's a top 10 defense that was out there on the field Saturday night. So talk about the progression and the growth that having Alex Grinch being a part of this program, uh, OU's reaping the benefits of it tremendously. I'm
1: sure statistically it'll back up, but in my opinion – 2018 was the worst defense that OU has ever had in school history. Mm -hmm. I realize they were bad in the 90s, but they weren't as bad defensively in the 90s as they were in 2018. So Alex French wasn't taking over an OU defense that was just loaded with stars. He was taking over an OU defense that didn't have a lot of confidence, had a bunch of small corners, small safeties, really – types of guys that don't really fit his scheme at all and in a year and a half time he's fielded a top 10 defense which I agree with you on by the way it's unbelievable 2017 and 2018 they didn't have any sort of identity like what were they trying to do just hold the other team to less than 40 points and they're just so good on offense that they're gonna win they had no identity they were changing fronts every single week they weren't creating turnovers like they had there was no calling card there. There was no plan there. They were just a unit without a way or a rhyme or a reason or how they were going to come up with stops. Now they do have an identity, right? Yeah. They're flying to the football. They're making tackles. They're causing havoc. They're creating turnovers. They're creating negative plays. They're doing everything that we've been waiting so long for an OU defense to do. And doing that in such a short time, and oh, by the way, still with guys that they didn't necessarily like when they got on campus, yep. it's unbelievable. And are they still undersized in the secondary at some spots? Absolutely. Like you're not going to see another player like Buki moving forward. As long as Alex French is here, you're not going to see guys that size moving forward. You're just not going to, they're not recruiting those dudes, but just good defensive line play fixes everything. And that's what they've gotten. They've gotten Ronnie Perkins to play at a high level. Uh, they've gotten Perry on Winfrey out of Juco. I mean, I can't just sit here and tell you that they're going to have a top 10 defense every single year for the next five years, but I cannot imagine a better start for Alex Grinch than what he's had because they've, they've given themselves a chance. I mean, this is the most complimentary team that OU's had in several years. Kirk Herbstreit even said it himself on the broadcast is this this OU team is more of a complete team than any of the playoff teams that they've had. Like this team can compete. This team is closer to winning a national championship because... Of what Alex Grinch has done on that defensive side of the ball, man, it's it really is incredible the job that he's done already. And and he had a good defense last year, but he loses their first round their first first round defensive guy in a long time. They lose Neville Gallimore up front, so then the next year to be able to replace those guys and have an even better defense, the dude's legit, man. He is.
0: Yeah, and I think especially coming into the year, there were a lot of questions that OU fans had, a lot of you know hesitation, a lot of concern about what would that front seven look like. When you lose a guy like Neville Gallimore to the NFL, you lose a guy like Kenneth Murray, who's been kind of that backbone, you know, the the predominant leader of this football team for the last two or three years. But when you're getting the production that they're getting out of their front seven these past three or four weeks, it allows, you know, not only the secondary players to play a lot better, but it can also hide some deficiencies that you see in a five nine, you know, nickelback like Buki, who we could spend two or three segments talking about, you know, what, what OU needs to do at at that position. But um, like you said, the the fact that Grinch is getting all these results from, from, you know, in a time where there's still Mike's guys on campus right now. So that's what I think has got OU fans so excited moving forward. When you give Alex Grinch another year or two, hopefully they can keep him on campus. I know he's going to be a hot commodity when head coaching vacancies come open here in the off season, but give Alex Grinch another year or two to install that system, get his guys, his recruits in there that fit that bigger frame, you know, longer, more rangy type guys that we're so accustomed to seeing from OU defenses in the past. But, you know, Watching that defense play on, on Saturday night, it, it kind of took me back to the early 2000s where there was that there was that confidence, there was that swagger oh, yeah. that, that, that that defense was playing with. And honestly, I'm, I'm at the point now where I can't wait to watch OU take the field to play defense. And I couldn't have said that two or three years ago um And it's just been, you know, awesome. You know, the the speed and the you know the rapid pace in which Alex Grinch has been able to, you know, transition this this football team, taking it from a, you know, a, a team, uh, an OU football team that if you didn't, if the offense didn't score, you were probably holding your breath thinking you weren't going to win the game. So now you're in a position to where it does take some of the pressure off the offense. And uh like I say, it's it's just a completely different football team all around. So. Uh, Tyler OU they need a little bit of help to make the playoffs I don't know I still think that they're I think that they probably are a top five top six team take away the two losses there's probably not a hotter team in the country right now is it am, am I crazy and thinking this Tyler I, I, am I going too far out there and saying that oh is this the best OU team in the last four or five years I guess the most complete team since since Baker Mayfield stepped on campus I don't think that's crazy at all because I think it's accurate. I mean, they just have more ways to
1: win games now, right? I mean, in the past, it's you better outscore somebody. And if you look at how they fared in playoff games offensively, outside that Georgia game in the Rose Bowl, not too well, right? They didn't score a whole lot of points against Clemson in 2015. They didn't score a whole lot of points against Alabama in 2018. I know they ended up scoring 31, but when you get down 28 nothing like that, then there's a whole lot of, you know, late touchdowns that were added there not a whole lot while the game was close and they sure didn't score a whole lot against LSU last year right but now you give yourself a chance now you can you can stop how you can turn over somebody and limit their offensive explosion so I mean I, I don't I don't think that there's I don't think that there's any doubt about that and that is the sad thing is if this team were to go in the playoff OU fans for the first time in a long time could say you know what I think that we're going to go toe-to-toe with this team. I don't think it's going to be a 54-53 game. I think we have a chance to play good defense, and I think that we have a legitimate chance to win that. The problem is, with two losses, they're probably not going to get that chance. But I still think, man, that they're going to have one hell of an argument. If they go out to Morgantown this week, and they if they look anything close to what they've looked like the past five games, they're going to roll over WVU and probably win by 24 to 28 points. It's going to look impressive. They're going to come back home and play Baylor on December 5th, and I'm going to guess that they're going to roll them, and they'll probably rematch with Iowa State or Texas in the Big 12 championship, and they could roll them too. So there is a really good chance that the committee is going to have to take a look at OU and say, okay, yes, they've lost two games. They lost those two games without maybe their best offensive player in Ramondre Stevenson and their best defensive player in Ronnie Perkins. They don't have the record that others do. But they've got a conference championship, and my God, they look like one of the best four teams in the country. I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen, but OU will still have an argument to being one of the four best teams. And I'm kind of like you. Like you said earlier, you're looking forward to watching OU every single week. Like, I think that's the entire fan base. Like, you're looking forward to see what this defense is going to do next. And I think we'd all like to see them do it on a a playoff level because before the year started, it was, well – Let's not make the playoff this year. We're kind of tired of the that goes along with that. That's, that's, that's gone. I think that that's a race. People think that this team can compete in a playoff game and we want to see it. And madness will probably have to ensue, but I like this team's chances if they were to play a Clemson or Ohio State in the first round. I really do. I think that there's some flaws with those teams and I think OU'd be game.
0: Yeah. And I know that OU right now, you know, they're, they're ranked 13 or 14th, whatever the last AP poll ranking came out. I still think that they're a tier below the likings of Alabama and Clemson, especially with both of those teams healthy. You get Trevor Lawrence back. COVID's kind of depleted. Uh, Clemson, especially in the loss at at Notre Dame. But – You know, Ohio State, seeing what they've done, Ohio State doesn't truly fear me. BYU-Cincinnati, I think OU put them on a neutral field. I think OU's favorite in every single one of those games. I think they take care of business. But, you know, it's definitely frustrating as an OU fan. If you look at what OU had offensively these last three or four years, the historic offenses from from Baker and Kyler and even Jalen, but they haven't had – a defense to be able to go out there and kind of hold up their own and help them, you know, play complimentary football and be able to win games. So, uh, it's definitely, it definitely looks like OU is going on the right track and with the recruiting that they've got going on right now. Honestly, I think that the biggest recruiting pitch that Lincoln Riley is going to have is not necessarily to close out, you know, the 2021 class, but, um, Ou's got a chance to make a run in twenty twenty one if you could convince a guy like Ronnie Perkins, you know, on Winfrey. Maybe he's played his way into thinking about you know being an early round NFL draft pick. Ramondre Stevenson. So, uh, but but again, you got to love the way that the direction that this program's you know trending in. There's definitely a lot of football left to be played, but you know, as an OU fan, a lot to be excited about. So, uh, Tyler, I, I want to ask you about Mike Gundy. Um, obviously, two and fourteen against OU. The decision making seems like he's you know he's a really good football coach as long as it's not bedlam for the most part uh, but the decision making you know the the lack of creativity uh, you know he wasn't creative in his play calling wasn't aggressive you could look across the opposite sideline Lincoln Riley was the exact opposite um, I, it has 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 Oklahoma State has Gundy maxed out what he's been able to accomplish there and if so, do you think Oklahoma State is finally getting to a position where they could consider looking elsewhere to maybe try to find another coach that could get them over over the hump? Because very similar to how it is at Texas, you get hired on to Texas to beat OU. So I know that the expectations are probably not as higher up in Stillwater as they are down in Austin, but do you kind of feel like Gundy's kind of maxed out what he's been able to do at Oklahoma State? It's time to get some new life in there.
1: Yeah I really do and and I just I just point to the recruiting rankings because I think those matter I think time and time again it shows that recruiting rankings really matter and OSU right now they're recruiting in the mid 40s they're getting a whole lot of three-star talent for the most part their class is loaded up on wide receivers I mean I think OSU is a program or has been a program where once every five years they gear up for a special senior class and they go for it and try to push for a big 12 championship clearly that's only happened once and Mike Gundy's tenure but I just I think that he's lazy on the recruiting trail. There's not enough attention to detail into the important things right now like Oklahoma State's never recruited to the level of OU they never will and nobody should ever expect them to. But Lincoln Riley has done some innovative things on the recruiting front to better their chances of landing big time prospects. Mike Gundy doesn't seem like he really cares to change all that much or try to close the gaps that he has with other schools in the state of Texas, so I just going to look and be better prepared when they take the field against Oklahoma. So there's just so many things where I just I think OSU can find better than Mike Gundy. He's done a whole lot of great things there, but he's not the same coach that he was eight to nine years ago. You can find somebody young, you can find somebody hungry. I mean, look at Les Miles. Les Miles approached the bedroom Bedlam rivalry in the early 2000s where like I'm not kissing the ring. I don't care what logo's on the side of their helmet. Like, we're going to go beat their ass. Like, watch this. We're going to be the tougher team. Watch this. Mike Gundy has – I don't know. I, I think maybe he's – I don't know if he's scared of OU, but he just doesn't take that mentality into this game. And you, you, you do have to at least compete with OU regularly, sure, but you can't be by far and away the weakest link on the field. Mike Gundy was the weakest link on the field, not any player – He was the weakest link out there and you at least have to have a coach at OSU that gives you a chance to beat OU and they don't they don't have that right now. So for the people out there that say well you know we're not sure we can do any better we'll just keep Mike Gundy. That's fine but it's going to be the same way as it has been the last two years moving forward because OU is getting better and OSU is kind of staying the same. They may get maybe a little bit worse throughout these next few years and I know that these have been convincing wins for OU the past two years, and I think that that's going to stay the same if they stick with Mike Gundy. I really do.
0: Yeah, as an OU fan, I hope that, you know, I hope they give Gundy a contract extension because, like I said, he's he's perfect for Bedlam and, and OU has had tremendous success, just like the record 2-14. and But uh, kind of before we transition to the big game this upcoming weekend, you know, not just in Morgantown, but also in Austin as well. As an OSU fan, there were so many expectations going into this year. This was the year. This is why Chuba Hubbard came back. This is why Tylen Wallace decided to skip the NFL. It was to come back, not just beat OU, but win a Big 12 championship. And now it kind of seems like those goals are out the window. Um, uh, given there is a slight outside chance, you know, OSU is going to have to have a little bit of help because they no longer control their own destiny. But you know, it, I, I thought I thought Tyler coming in this year. I thought OU was get, was gettable. Uh losing what they did last year, not having CD Lamb, losing Jalen Hurts. That's a third straight year this year losing a quarterback. We can go down the list. Naval Gallimore, Parnell, Motley, Kenneth Murray, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And just looking at what OU had to replace, starting a redshirt, freshman quarterback. We know what Ellinger was it was coming back with a predominantly senior-led team at Texas, Oklahoma State with all the experience. Now OU's back in the driver's seat, and honestly. If, if, uh, if Oklahoma wins it for the sixth straight year this year, I don't see anybody taking it from him anytime soon when you consider what Lincoln Riley is doing on the recruiting trail, trail and bringing, bringing guys in. so uh, But, no, I, I think that that's a great point, and that kind of you know, brings me kind of here. We'll, we'll kind of end it with this here in just a sec, but um, big weekend for, for the state of the Big 12 race, especially at the top. Iowa State going down to Austin on Friday afternoon, Black Friday, 11 a.m. kickoff. As an OU fan, Tyler, and a, as a guy that covers the team day in and day out, that Cyclone Longhorn matchup. Which team do you? W- which team should you? Would you want to be cheering for? And I guess ultimately, since this could predominantly be a playing game, w- which team should OU want to play? Um.
1: So I had the opinion two weeks ago that I don't want to play Texas. Not because I'm scared of them. It's just I don't want to see Sam Ellinger again. Yada yada yada. But the realization that I've come to is, dude, if, if this OU team is, if they're what we, we're seeing recently, which I think they are, it doesn't matter. They're going to destroy Texas. They're going to destroy Iowa State. I, I would tend to say, let's, let's, roll with, let's roll with Texas once again, because at least Iowa State has a defense recently that's caused you some problems. You know, it's hard to hit on big plays with them. Keacock up there has a pretty good umbrella scheme where they don't allow a lot. And they got Brees Hall who can run the football, dude, you know. Um, Brock Purdy might throw you the football a couple times himself, but they've got one of the best tight ends in the country, one of the best running backs in the country, and a good defense. I can't really say any of that for Texas, right? Texas yep. doesn't have a great tight end. Yeah. They don't have a great running back. They don't have the defense the level of Iowa State. All they have is a gritty player in Sam Ellinger. And OU should have beat them by 14 points the first time, maybe even more than that. And now a better version of OU, they might be Texas by 30. So I think that you root for Texas to, to play them again. And how hilarious would it be to get to beat Sam Ellinger just one more time? I I a couple of weeks ago, I thought, eh, getting to play Sam Ellinger. That's, uh, that's one guy, and he's, he's a gritty kid, but that's kind of where it stops for their team. Yeah. They've got Joseph Osai, who's a really good player. I acknowledge that. But OU's the better team. Guess what? It's just like Bethel last week did the better coach team too, man.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and like you said, you know, a a couple weeks ago, you know, if you would have asked me who I would have wanted to play. If if you could guarantee a win, obviously I would want to play Texas just because you know that seems like that could be the final you know final nail in the Tom Herman coffin helps out with recruiting. But looking to see what Iowa State's done on obviously beating OU, this is a completely different OU team. But you see the weapons that they've got with Brees Hall, Char- Charlie Colar is a nightmare matchup, especially like you said, you got a five foot nine nickelback that's covering him every single snap for the most part. But yeah, I, I like uh, I I think that OU Texas, I think that Texas would be a favorable matchup for OU. Um, like you said that OU's got the coaching advantage. But also at the same time, it kind of does make me a little nervous because I know what Sam Ellinger can do, and there's always going to be a chance that he can make a play, just like what we saw him do, bringing him back against Texas Tech or winning the game in overtime against Oklahoma State. But like I said, as well as OU's playing right now, take your pick. I'll I'll take either one. OU's not going to fear either one of them. So it'll be nice. Well, Tyler, I'll I'll let you get out of here with this. Um, And obviously, like you said, college football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. Give me your top four, maybe your top six. I know they like to put six on the graphic, but give me your top six in college football right now.
1: Alabama's got to be number one. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're legit, man. I mean, just how they're beating teams, how they beat Kentucky last Saturday. I mean, come on. I, I recognize Kentucky's no world beater, but you beat anybody like that in that conference, you're good. I, Notre Dame will be number two. I, I don't believe that Notre Dame's the second-best team in the country, but they do have that Clemson win right there, so you got to give them credit. Ohio State will be three. That's another team that I'm still unsure of. I think defensively they've got a lot of issues, and the way Justin Fields turns the ball over on Saturday was uh, was quite interesting. Against an Indiana defense, been pretty opp- opportunistic. And then I guess you got to put Clemson at four for no other reason than they've got that built-in equity. You know, if, if, if Clemson was replaced with North Carolina, would they be four tomorrow? Would they be my fourth-best team? No, probably not. But they've got Travis, or Trevor Lawrence. They've got Travis Etienne. They've got a defense that is not as good as years past, but they are Clemson, and we know that they have a chance to win the national championship. I know a lot of people are high on Cincinnati. I like BYU, man. I think BYU's legit. I think they can run the ball. I think they got a really good quarterback. I think defensively they're good. So in terms of like that next three, I think BYU's excellent's going to be there. They won't be there because of the two losses, but we've been talking about Oklahoma for the past thirty minutes, and I think that they, I think that they should be there. And then of course I think you got to put Florida there. Florida is lacking defensively, but they've still got elite offensive talent with Kyle Trask and. That's what's kind of interesting this year is the teams at the top, other than Bama, all of them are good offensively, but Clemson, Ohio State, Florida, there's a lot of teams that aren't as good defensively as they have been in the past. So I think that that's that's something that hopefully at some point Oklahoma can capitalize on either in the Cotton Bowl or the college football playoffs.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And like I said, the the fun thing, the interesting thing will be to see – the the rankings that come out tomorrow night it never works out like it's supposed to yeah, as you yeah, move sure. throughout the end of November championship weekend and early December there there's going to be a lot of chaos hopefully that that makes it good for guys like us that love college football and love talking about it so uh, but again l- let's get out of here Tyler again appreciate you for hopping on you're welcome on here anytime and um, like I said guys uh, definitely you know go give Tyler a follow on Twitter at Tyler underscore McComas. give him a listen host of the Rush Sports Talk 1400 two to six in the afternoon with Teddy Um, And like I said, man, appreciate you coming on. Hey, anytime. Seriously, enjoyed it. Awesome, dude. Well, again, enjoy the rest of your evening. It's going to be a fun rest of the season. And, again, we appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back a little bit later this week, kind of breaking down West Virginia right here on another episode of the Mainline Podcast.